Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition where we examine and explore Catholic authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic teaching for 2,000 years. I'm joined here with Dr. Smith, and in today's episode, we're going to look at the enduring worth of St. Thomas Aquinas. And for St. Thomas uh, and for the church, no other thinker is so closely associated with Catholicism as St. Thomas. Few Catholic theologians have received the repeated endorsement from bishops, theologians, and even popes. And for us today, St. Thomas is extremely relevant. He is a model of harmony of faith and reason, because many times today either uh, reason is uh, uh, overemphasized or people have an overconfidence in reason, or, or they're a complete, uh, uh, they, they deny reason, and they're a complete, well, faith, fideism. So mm-hmm. St. Thomas is really uh, um, a model for us today, and I think he needs to be highlighted and maybe re-examined uh, for our current cultural state. Uh, and so joining me today is Dr. Smith, who is a student of St. Thomas uh, and has been for some time. And so, uh, Dr. Smith, why don't you get us started and, and maybe let us know how you first encountered Thomas and how he really became a guide for you. Well, thank you, Jason. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity uh, to talk about this. Um, I have a, a strong sort of uh, devotion and connection to St. Thomas um, uh, because I've, I've really been studying him for, I mean, literally decades now. I um, first encountered uh, St. Thomas actually uh, before I was Catholic, when I was attending a Protestant undergraduate institution. Um, and uh, during that time, uh, got exposed to St. Thomas um, and he was, you know, part of one reason among many others that, that sort of drew me towards uh, the Catholic Church. Um, but I adopted him early on and was determined to study him as much as I could. Um, I know that, of course, there are many worthy uh, intellectual traditions within uh, the Catholic faith, within the Catholic Church, um, you know, different sort of strains of theology. But I do think it's important, actually, to claim to sort of latch onto one. So a friend of mine who knew the great uh, Father John Hardin and received spiritual direction from him uh, told me that Father Hardin had told him that it's important to choose someone as your model, right? And maybe it might be St. Augustine. For Father Hardin, it was St. Robert Bellarmine. Um, and uh, for me, it's been St. Thomas. You know, uh, the, he's in a lot of ways been my model for the intellectual life, um, uh, especially how to think about philosophy, how to think about theology, um, you know, what sources to draw on, all those sorts of things. Um, and so uh, it's, it's good to have somebody who is your guide. In one of the, uh, you know, uh, installments of The Worst Ideas of Modern Philosophy, I talked explicitly about uh, the idea that the Enlightenment ideal of being, you know, intellectually autonomous um, is not a Catholic idea. It's not a traditional idea. Uh, and it's not even just philosophically sound, right? We, in fact, need uh, wise guides, uh, and sound teachers in order to learn uh, effectively. And so I think it's good to have someone like that. And for myself, it's been St. Thomas. Um, and I, th- I found him to be a, a very reliable, solid guide and interlocutor over, you know, literally, the, say, the decades. What do, you, what do you think it is about St. Thomas, you know, a, apart from, you know, maybe, you know, I, I, you know, definitely St. Augustine's up there, but what do you think kind of sets St. Thomas apart from, um, you know, all the other guys? I mean, there's been, you know, over mm-hmm. 10,000 canonized saints. Sure, and, sure. You know, yeah. a couple, you know, a couple dozen uh, doctors of the church, but, but even among them, you know, St. Thomas still kind of stands apart. So what do you, what is it about him specifically 
uh, uh, and how he maybe how he approached theology and philosophy that really kind of sets him apart from others and makes him, you know, uh, uh, just kind of a, a universally reliable guide. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I would almost want to say maybe it's because of his sort of small C Catholicity, actually, like that one of the things that he would have not thought of himself as an innovator. Uh, he wasn't particularly yeah. interested in being an innovator. Uh, I think he saw himself very much as someone drawing on the wisdom of the saints, the wisdom of the fathers, the wisdom contained in sacred scripture. Certainly, he was aware that he was doing things that were somewhat new. Uh, his use of Aristotle was still somewhat new uh, uh, among Catholic theologians. But I think that his, his willingness to just sort of immerse himself in the tradition and draw on so many different uh, elements, different factors, uh, he certainly created a unique synthesis, but he is, I think, well recognized as a synthesizer. So one way to, to sort of access the Catholic intellectual tradition, to access Catholic, uh, sound Catholic thought on faith and reason is to study St. Thomas, because you're going to get not just his own views, but really uh, he's going to draw in so many other sources. Yeah, I think, you know, especially today where many of the people we may encounter will simply just deny the Bible or just deny right. sacred texts, authority, any mm -hmm. of those things, you know, who doesn't matter what Pope whatever said, mm -hmm. uh, sure. whatever. You know, uh, uh, I think, you know, St. Thomas, you know, uh, provides us um, with a great example and also, you know, some some clear approaches mm -hmm. because, you know, he many of his objections that he encountered and answered uh, mm -hmm. were not from a Christian perspective. You know, they were right. from a philosophical uh, uh, point of view of, mm -hmm. uh, uh, of approaching faith or even things uh, kind of a natural theology as well. Mm hmm. So I think, you know, in that respect, you know, he really stands out. And I think, you know, one of the one of the biggest things is he provides a good uh, ordering um, mm -hmm. that's not necessarily, you know, uh, specifically Christian or Catholic, but it's just kind of a, a philosophical ordering of, of looking at the world. Yeah, uh, sure. And that's, you know, I think the, um, I believe it was Duan uh, Burquist. I could be wrong about this. But he has a nice essay. Uh, that's been published in a couple of different sources where he talks about the importance of order in study. Mm. And one of the main things that are, um, uh, one of the main reasons that we need a guide is sometimes we need somebody to just to sort of give us direction about what to study first, what to study second, what to study third. You know, I, mean, I think that's even though especially true today when we have so much information overload uh, and we have wonderful, you know, internet book companies that allow you to buy, you know, almost any philosophy book you could manage, um, want, right? Yeah. But in a way, it's almost, that's almost sort of uh, confusing because you don't really know where to begin, what to read in what order, what questions should come first, you know? Um, and I think that, that, that one of the things that Thomas does is he just lays out an order that's reasonable, that's logical, that's pedagogically effective. Yeah, and I think, and, and I think particularly he does that in a way that is not arrogant mm -hmm. saying, you know, I'm St. Thomas and I'm going to put these things <laughs> while I'm living. Court. I'm St. Thomas. <laughs> That's right. You know, I am the angelic doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I am the angelic doctor. Yeah. No, he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't begin with, with that. Um, but there's, I, for, especially, I don't know, from uh, kind of my exposure to him there, I always found a great humility. Sure. Uh, mm -hmm. With St. Thomas. And it wasn't just, you know, his, his command of the material or things like that. But it was also that the breadth of his writing was not simply let me explain and put things in order for you. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, he, he, you know, he has commentaries on sacred scripture, you know, right. which he saw as the foundation of, you know, theology. 
Um, but he also has beautiful prayers regarding, you know, uh, uh, the Eucharist. And, you know, he was even tasked to, you know, write prayers specifically after a Eucharistic miracle. So I think, even, you know, from kind of, you know, giving us kind of a pedagogical principle, you know, he just, I think he just lays the foundation of the study of theology needs mm-hmm. to have this, this humility to it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's very important. important. Which I mean, actually goes, you know, um, uh, complements uh, some of the things I was saying about the role of humility in philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. That actually to be a lover of wisdom requires us to um, be thoughtful about uh, the fact that we don't necessarily possess wisdom, right? Pythagoras <laughs> is famous for saying um, that only uh, he would have said God or the God uh, is wise, that men aren't wise. We can be lovers of wisdom, <laughs> right? Yeah. We can be those who pursue wisdom, uh, but that we don't necessarily uh, possess it. Now, I would, I'm not sure if I'd agree with all of that, but at least certainly the attitude is the correct attitude. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, for, you know, uh, uh, even in when you look at the structure of even the, the, the Summa, you know, mm-hmm. how many times, you know, uh, uh, would, you know, somebody maybe a, um, an, an apologist today or something maybe would set aside somebody's objection to the faith. It's, oh, that's mm-hmm. silly. That's nonsense. But, mm-hmm. you know, just the, the, the structure of the Summa is sure. St. Thomas looking at all of yeah. the uh, uh, yeah. kind of opposition uh, mm-hmm. to uh, Christianity and, and taking time to, to answer those saying Ooh, not, not simply, yeah, not simply just setting them aside, but saying, okay, mm-hmm. you have this objection. Let's yeah. look at it yeah, sure. thoughtfully. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think what, you know, that kind of makes me think of what I would say is probably the most attractive thing about St. Thomas overall, which is that he's not actually proceeding in an ad hoc polemical way. Yeah. Right? Is that I think what, when people really fall in love with St. Thomas it's because uh, he has this systematic, consistent worldview that brings together biblical faith uh, and human experience and logic and reason. Um, and so it's, 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 it's wonder. I mean, if you like this kind of thing, I find it, of course, just wonderful. This wonderfully intricate, interconnected, many parts, uh, that sense of a, you're, it's a sense of really like you're stepping into the world. Like, oh, this is reality and this is how things connect and this is how they're related and 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 you know saint thomas the breadth of it you know really i think is uh, what is often uh so exciting yeah and and i think having a guide that's uh, mm-hmm. uh logically rigorous you know mm-hmm. in this way of saying well you know let's let's not just look at particular aspects but it, it, having having somebody lay out the faith in that way and look at and look at oppositions in that way it mm-hmm. really provides clarity, which, sure. you know, again, I think that's one of those things that is so needed today is mm-hmm. clarity because, I mean, mm-hmm. there's so much uh, ambiguity, even in, the, even in the person that, you know, uh, uh, believes in things like objective truth and things like right. that. There's still, sure. there's still you know, uh, uh, some ambiguity out there that clouds people's, well, you know, is this really wrong? Is this really right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's still some of that. Whereas, if you have a guide that's that's uh, uh, logically rigorous, you know, sure. St. Thomas's, it, it brings about nothing but clarity. You yeah, know? right, right, yeah. And also, I think uh, uh, the clarity, which leads to sort of practical direction, a certain sort of confidence that that the world is intelligible, yeah, uh, and that it's not wildly contradictory. Um, and that we can operate within that world with some degree of, you say, clarity, uh, confidence. Uh, and also, I think the, the, you know, I mean, I think a lot of what he, did, he 
brings to the table is actually the, the truth of the matter. And so in a lot of ways, he's helping you to appreciate the world more deeply um, and to see a lot of the, the, what I would consider the beauty uh, that's there. Mm-hmm. I, I sometimes will say of St. Thomas's work that I think it's beautiful. And some people might, might find that a little surprising, right? <laughs> because I'll admit, reading it just in, like one passage in isolation, <laughs> dry. but um, it's, it still has that, uh, has that intellectual beauty. So like when mathematicians talk about something being elegant, right? Mm. A proof for something being elegant. That's the way I think about St. Thomas's work, that it's, uh, it's often compared to uh, an intricate uh, cathedral um, in which all, you know, there's all these different parts, but they all come together to create this aesthetically pleasing um, and excellent uh, whole. The, the foundation, you know, kind of of that cathedral, uh, particularly for St. Thomas, uh, is his natural theology. Sure. That he yeah. mm-hmm. to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's very important. It's one of the aspects, I think, of uh, St. Thomas that I think is, um, I mean, there's, there are a lot of things you could say about, you know, what's the <laughs> yeah. most important lesson of, from St. Thomas. And I think that there are di- several different things. Uh, certainly, we could talk about his views on truth and the nature yeah. of truth, his uh, understanding of the relation of faith and reason. All of those are important. But, you know, uh, just to sort of focus on one is uh, I think his take on natural theology is really um, super important, and it connects to the, the whole issue of faith and reason. But for St. Thomas, you know, he doesn't think that the gospel is preached into a world that is completely ignorant of God, right? Mm. Uh, rather, the gospel is preached into a world in which there is at least, or at least should be, some real knowledge of God, um, a knowledge of God that we often suppress in unrighteousness, as St. Paul says, but nevertheless, that there is, there should be some knowledge of God, uh, and knowledge of some of his moral demands. Um, and this is what we explore and think about in what has come to be called natural theology. Uh, so that the human mind for St. Thomas is capable by its own power, uh, certainly that power ultimately comes from God, but by its own power is able to discover certain truths about um, the existence of God. Um, and this is not something, that, you know, to St. Thomas, this isn't something that's you know, meant to exist autonomous from, you know, uh, special revelation or Christian revelation. Sure. Uh, but it's another, it's another element, right? It's, it's something that goes, it's a part of theology that is um, very useful. And one of the things I think it's very useful for is first we can, we can demonstrate with a great deal of clarity, Thomas thinks um, that God exists and, um, and, and really demonstrate things like not only that God exists, but that God has personality, that he's, he's intellectual, volitional, that God, ha- uh, that God is simple, that God is immutable, that God is eternal, all those sort of divine attributes that you know, historically Christians have attributed to God, uh, we can demonstrate those things with our reason. Now, it's not easy uh, and sometimes very complicated and difficult, but that the mind does actually go in that direction if we'll let it do so. And that God has actually made the mind to discover himself and made sure. creation to be a means for finding him. And I think that's really useful because often we act as if creation and nature is neutral with respect to religion mm. and it's not right uh in fact it's what's rational is to affirm the existence of god nature has a god right and like like nature is not a god but it has one right and uh, it points us in that direction so that nature and rationality are not neutral in fact you're in a deficient position intellectually if you don't acknowledge the existence of god yeah yeah and that's one of the you know one of the most boggling things that that uh, uh, that I experienced today is when you, you know when you when uh, many times the atheist position 
is mm. always seen as the reasonable position. Yeah, the agnostic. Yeah, we're not influenced by religion and all of these other things. We are thinking clearly for ourselves, kind of. Whereas, well, no. If you were thinking clearly for yourself, you would see. You know, you you would look around and you would see things like order. You know, Mm. well, something intellectual has to actually put order to that. I mean, we don't any sort of order that we that we see in the world, uh, particularly created order uh, by Mm. humans we acknowledge that a human put that there but right. then all of a sudden we're just gonna throw that throw that out the window and say well the mm-hmm. created order of the world itself well that's just absolutely random you know and, and it even goes against you know uh certain laws of physics you know sure. uh that things can move from uh you know uh, chaos to order by by no outside means right yeah that's i mean that's completely unreasonable Mm-hmm. Yep. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, uh, that that's useful because it shows, right, the, the, the agnostic position is not the correct one. Um, and that, that people are responsible for knowing that God exists. And they're responsible for actually um, uh, following um, God, for, for following God's law. Uh, so that nature isn't uh, this sort of, you know, uh, I think I used to say it to my students this way, it's not a... Um, uh, it's not a necessary outcome of the random interaction of purposeless forces. To say it succinctly, right? Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, rather, it's an ordered whole of which there is a Lord um, uh, who is the first cause uh, of that world um, and to whom you are uh, actually responsible uh, for acting in a way that is in keeping with that order that he has uh, established uh, within uh, creation. So that, you know, so that when we're, when we are, are, are sharing the gospel and we're evangelizing, we shouldn't sort of always take the burden of proof in, the, in this sense that we shouldn't assume that the agnostic position is correct. Yeah. Uh, we shouldn't assume that uh, nature is uh, neutral. Um, in fact, there is a God you can and should know that he exists and you can and must follow him. Um, and which actually, you know, I think, you know, kind of sh- turns the tables a little bit on the way that we, uh, sometimes go about uh, evangelizing or sharing the faith uh, whatever. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of times, you know, just for, you know, if you're trying to, to have a, an apologetic or an evangelical kind mm-hmm. of conversation, you know, uh, you, you, you have to have a starting point. You know, if, if you don't have a common starting point between the two people, then it's hard mm-hmm. to move anywhere. You know, and I always try to, you know, encourage people find that starting point. Well, sure. many times, speaking from my own experience, many times when I'm trying to find this starting point, it begins with clearly listening to what they have to say mm-hmm. and seeing if there are any logical inconsistencies with, sure. with how they're laying out the beginning mm-hmm. of their argument of saying right. why they're an atheist or why they're agnostic and all these mm-hmm. things. And simply saying, well, this, you know, this, until you've solved this point, it's, mm-hmm. it's difficult for us to have a, a clear starting point, sure. which, which makes it even more difficult to actually have uh, a conversation with some substantive uh, resolution sure. to it, you know? So I think, you know, I think again of, you know, uh, St. Thomas uh, uh, beginning with that, br- bringing sure. that, bringing that in there uh, um, just shows that harmony between mm-hmm. faith and reason that, you know, yeah, I mean, you could, you can say, you know, uh, you can start the conversation with, you know, I think it's rational to affirm the existence of God, right. Mm-hmm. That um, uh, I think that's a reasonable position. Now, the gospel then comes in uh, when I think about uh, additional things, right? Yeah. Uh, 
but we can think about, you know, okay, I, I know that God exists and I know that I'm morally accountable to God. Um, and, and that also means that I'm kind of in trouble, right? Because <laughs> I'm not actually meeting those moral demands. And that's where we have to start thinking about things like the gospel, thinking about uh, grace uh, and uh, forgiveness and redemption and those sorts of things. One other area where I think this approach to, to think about God is really useful is actually within the church and within Christian faith. There's a tendency sometimes, I think, especially today, uh, to make uh, God into a lovable fuzzball. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and just kind of imagine that he's one of us almost, right? Uh, that he's a person in the same way that yeah. we are. Uh, and one of the things that natural theology does, and this is endorsed by the First Vatican Council, um, is, it, it, is it gives us strong reasons to recognize the, the transcendence of God, the difference of God from us at a metaphysical and ontological level. And a lot of what we think about God a lot of the, the errors and difficulties we struggle with, I think, within the church today uh, has to do with uh, deficient ways of thinking about God, right? That just yeah. God, you know, that we can change God's mind, that, um, that God uh, has feelings in the same way that we do, you know, that, that sort of thing, that God somehow depends on me, right? Uh, and which is, of course, radically uh, <laughs> uh, absurd, right? It's actually the, the inverse. Everything about us depends on God. Uh, and God doesn't depend on us at all. Yeah, yeah. And even, you know, I find this particularly in, you know, catechesis sometimes is they'll say, sure. you know, well, what's most important is your personal relationship with God. And they, you know, then they'll go into analogies. And so they'll say, well, your personal relationship with God is like, you know, being married. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's like a spousal relationship. And mm -hmm. I know the saints have used that as an analogy. Sure. Uh, but it, but it, falls very deficient, you know, and that's, you know, that's also the nature well, of the analogy, it, but it, it at least needs to be balanced. Right? Yeah. You know, that if you're going to use those kind of, that kind of language, which, you know, there are, uh, there are you know, some biblical examples of that and that, which is great. Uh, but it also needs to be balanced with a robust sense of the metaphysical transcendence of God. Right. Right. Well, and, and that's, and that's, I think where, where, you know, I think the, the, where we need to be logically rigorous in this mm -hmm. way is to, is to say, Yes, we could speak of this, you know, in an analogous way, but we also have to recognize the the, the metaphysical reality of it. That sure. yes, God is like a spouse, but God is nothing like a spouse. <laughs> you know, right. you know, or, or I think even the interaction. Like, what if I decided to only speak to my wife uh, behind the veil of a door? Right. <laughs> you know, sure. my wife would say, "Come out!" You know, they're screaming. Stop speaking to me sacramentally. You know, <laughs> it would not be a good relationship. You know, but 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 at the same time, you know, God remains hidden to us in that way. And so I mean, again, but because it's based on, you know, my understanding of God and my relationship with God is based on that metaphysical reality that uh, uh, that that we are different in that way. We, you know, where sometimes the way we speak about God and our relationship with him, it just kind of gets all boiled down to the horizontal. There's right, the, right. The vertical dimension is is neglected mm -hmm. uh, in a way. Yeah, and so uh, uh, so it becomes you know uh, just kind of uh, again this goes back to you know the importance of St. Thomas. It just it, you run into ambiguities and you run into mm -hmm. kind of just unclear thinking and and, mm -hmm. and and unclear you know in that in that unclear thinking you know particularly as it gets played out in catechesis, well it it, it usually gets played out kind mm -hmm. of in unclear uh, goals. Sure. Yeah. Which right. 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 Unclear yeah. methods and all right. Yeah. 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 It's that it, it, religion's about producing feelings and, and sure. uh, that sort of thing, and that God has feelings like us, and that we can interact in a way 
uh, that works like um, that works in the in, a, in the same way. Yeah, uh, friendship with someone else. Uh, I think it's perfectly fine. And St. Thomas talks about charity as friendship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also need to recognize that we're tr- we're trying to bring things together that are intention, right? That is that there really is this irreducible um, difference between God and ourselves. Uh, and that's actually a good thing. Right? Uh, uh, we wouldn't want God to not be eternal, right? We wouldn't want God to be mutable, if you really think about it. Right? <laughs> you know, uh, we want God to be immutable, to be unchanging, to be eternal. Um, and very importantly, you know, natural theology not only demonstrates the existence of God, but demonstrates the existence of God as first cause, which I won't go into now, but uh, all the details, of course. But uh, St. Thomas uses that idea to talk about how we can know that God is provident. So that mm-hmm. one of the things St. Thomas believes is that the human mind should know not only that there is a God, um, but that God is not some sort of uh, remote, uh, deistic sort of God, like a watchmaker who just kind of sets it in motion, right? But rather sure. that that we can know with reason that God is, in fact, provident, right? That is, he is, um, he, uh, is involved in everything that happens in the world intimately. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this is the basis for, uh, you know, having trust in him. Right, that we because he's provident and imminently involved in the world, um, we can trust uh, that he, you know, he will accomplish his purposes uh, in the world, both in our lives and in history in general. Um, and also, that gives I think gives us gives us really strong grounds for uh, hope and trust uh, in God. Yeah, and I think you know, uh, particularly for kind of our modern culture today, they they they're not always given that purpose or even to have that foundational understand that things have a purpose mm-hmm, uh, sure. you know and when you know i mean you take that to you know not just kind of a natural level but take that to a personal level and i think that's mm-hmm. why you know people suffer from anxiety people suffer from you know sure. depression you know at, at great levels is because you know there there isn't this clear understanding that god has created things for a purpose right, uh, he's right. Created yeah. them for an end uh, that and it's an, and it's an end that comes from a loving heart. It's not just an end that comes from kind of a, a mechanical way. Sure, um, oh, yeah, know. a loving heart and wisdom, right? I think is yeah. an important aspect of it, right? That is that that God governs and orders all things wisely, um, yeah. and uh, that doesn't mean it always goes nicely. Very important, <laughs> right? <laughs> but wisely, so in His wisdom, He might permit uh, evils to occur. Yeah. Right? Uh, because of the perp- because of the good and wise purposes that he has, right? So um, that's a difficult topic, I think, for uh, Christians is dealing with the you know the problem of evil, the problem of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think having a sense of providence actually providence and the wisdom and, and the role of wisdom within providence um, is really key to addressing that difficulty. Yeah, and I think also for the Christian, you know, when we when we look at the hope. Mm-hmm. So when we look at hope with the problem of evil, I think the, the one of the best things that the Christian can can do and to pray for is to see, you know, I, I don't fully understand why this bad thing is happening. Right. But where my faith and my hope lie in is that there is a God who is so powerful and so loving mm-hmm. that he can bring out of this bad thing mm-hmm. something that's, you know, greater than that sure. evil or something. Sure. He can bring about something greater than if this evil would not have it. Mm-hmm would not have uh, uh, happened. Right, you know? right. Uh, and, and I think that just opens up, you know, just the, not just the imagination, but, you know, the sure. prayer life into the, 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 the power of, of, of God as Father right. uh, in that way. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, this thing, if you have, it, 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 there's so many topics that are related to this, but that one of the things that's interesting is, you know, the Enlightenment philosophers who objected so much to Christianity did not necessarily object to the existence of God, right? Mm. Uh, what they objected to most of all was the idea of providence, uh, as well as the incarnation, but especially providence. They would say, you know, like, God is separate from the world. The world operates uh, according to a, a, as an autonomous whole, according to natural laws and processes. Yeah, God got it started off, but he's not intimately involved with it. Sure. Whereas for St. Thomas, you know, God, every moment preserves in existence every creature, right? Mm -hmm. So that on our own, we are literally metaphysically nothing, right? Yeah. You know, we like like we have this sort of tendency actually within us. Uh, Pieper talks about this in Jacques Maritain as well that there is a tendency within the creature because of his dependency on God towards nothingness. That we're sort of falling towards nothingness, except that God holds us in existence. Right? Yeah, it's a great Lenten meditation. Right? <laughs> you are nothing. Go. <laughs> so you know, when Saint Paul talks about you know. And, and, and in God, we, we live and move and have our being, right? That is that, that really, in a, in a really strong sense, God is not just, he didn't just sort of create the world in the past um, or, or something like that, but rather God is the, this uh, undergirding force, right? That keeps moment to moment, you know, uh, every creature in existence. Yeah, John Paul II, he had this great quote, he was talking about it. He, he said that you know God's uh, create God's creation is continue is continuing in the ongoing maintenance of the world. You know, uh -huh, that, right, right, you know right. that it's that it's in that way. And one of the yeah. you know one of the things that I think you know from a, a, a catechetical perspective mm -hmm. is you know when we look at Saint Thomas is that you know uh, he was a brilliant theologian, holy holy man. Um, but he was, he was also one of his primary uh, um, uh, jobs, I guess, if you want to say, or vocations, was, was that of a teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and, and Joseph Pieper, when he was writing about St. Thomas, had this to say, and I think it's just, it, it's something that I think, uh, if, if catechists were to learn one thing methodologically or pedagogically <laughs> from uh -huh. St. Thomas, uh -huh. uh, this would be it. And Joseph Pieper points this out about when he writes of St. Thomas the teacher. He says this, precisely this characterizes the teacher, it seems to me. He possesses the art of approaching his subject from the point of view of the beginner. He is able to enter into the psychological situation of one encountering a subject for the first time. There is an element in this that goes far beyond the realm of method of dictation or pedagogical skill. To put it another way, in this attitude, the methodological skill which can be learned is linked with something else that probably, that probably cannot ever be learned really. Mm. That, that, that particularly, and when you look, again, going back to, you know, the, the, the Summa and just how it's structured, St. Sure. Thomas was, was addressing all of these different uh, points of view from their point of view. Right, right, You right. know, he was saying, this person says this, you know, and yeah. so he was laying out their argument. And so, you know, uh, again, for, for the catechist, this is, this is what we have to do uh, mm -hmm. um, uh, in the classroom. This is what we have to do within our families, not just, mm -hmm. you know, say, well, this is, you know, here's what the church teaches, accepted or, you know, anathema. Sure. It's, you know, we're not, we're not, you know, the, the catechist is both this uh, a spokesperson for God and sure. also you're an advocate on the part of the person. Yeah, that's we're, right, right. We're there to help them respond back to God. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to approach the subject yeah. from the point of view of the learner, whether it's a small child 
or an mm-hmm. adult, one of the biggest things I think that the catechist can do better is sure. to, to have that grasp of the topic, mm-hmm. uh, but be able to approach that topic, you know, have a mature grasp of the, the, the topic, the doctrine or anything like that, but also have the heart and the mind to approach the subject from the point of the view of the learners that are in front of them. Sure. So, and St. Thomas yeah. does as well. Yeah, I think one of the things that I would, uh, uh, you're absolutely right, uh, and it's a sometimes neglected perspective on St. Thomas. Um, but uh, in particular, I, w- I would also just want to add that, you know, in St. Thomas's anthropology, like his understanding of the human person, has a lot to say about education. And, you know, he sees, and I think this fits with a catechetical uh, context very well, he sees, you know, the, the young student, um, uh, the, even the young boy or girl, right, as having uh, a natural inclination towards the truth, right? That is that we have a power, like our intellectual power is inclined towards this, the discovery of truth. Um, and so that really education consists in the cultivation of that natural inclination, letting it grow, giving it solid food, giving it protection, all those kinds of things, and the different kinds of metaphors you could apply that fit with that kind of, um, of organic image. Uh, I think that's important because there's such a tendency to be regimented in education today, right? To have everything super regimented, super formulaic. I've got these five outcomes. I've got to hit these five outcomes. If I don't hit those five outcomes and I haven't done my job, well, really, you know what? You might hit none of those outcomes and you might've done a great, had a great discussion with your students about these things, you know, um, right. just literally this, uh, this morning I had a discussion with my kids about, um, uh, one of my kids brought up a question about uh, dinosaurs in Genesis one and two. I was like, Hey, this is great. Let's talk about it. You know, that's, <laughs> this is actually, it was a great uh, opportunity to talk about uh, a variety of uh, things. I just let the conversation go in the direction it needed to go. Yeah. And even say, you know, St. Thomas, he, when he talks about teaching, he talks about it in his discussion on creation, uh-huh, which sure. the, the, the catechism all, also points this out that, you know, I believe it's uh, paragraph 2221. It talks about the fecundity of conjugal love. Uh-huh, okay. uh, yeah. The child into existence, but it's sure. continued education and moral formation of the child. Absolutely. And, you know, that and St. Thomas even goes so far, uh, Father Vivian Bolin, who's the, um, I believe he's the uh, uh, vicar general for the Dominican order right now. Uh, he, he has a whole exposition on the healing power of teaching mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. education has this power to heal us. And, mm-hmm. and I, again, I think that points back to right. that kind of the things that God has built into us naturally. And so sure. he goes into, uh, you know, how he, uh, teaching actually heals us primarily from two things from, ignorance and from sin, which <laughs> what's wrong with the world? Well, <laughs> here's two things, you know, uh, uh, to, to sum them up. But, but, I, but, I, but I love also what he, what he says about ignorance is he says, you know, because that's kind of obvious. Teaching heals you from ignorance. Sure. But he makes the distinction. He says teaching is when we talk about ignorance, it's not just ignorance of, of random things. Like I am ignorant of the Polish language. Mm-hmm. He doesn't talk about things like that, but he says, healing uh, uh healing ignorance of things we ought to know right right yeah you know, right. and i think that goes back to that that natural that natural theology is right. you know we we ought to know that mm-hmm. god exists that sure. there's this this moral code that is built within us yeah um, absolutely yeah i mean in fact even if we don't even if we don't know it through going to you know all the complicated proofs there's three areas thomas talks about where we ought to have con natural existence uh, knowledge of god that is the, it, the common man should come to the conclusion there is a God from the order of the world, 
from um, our sense of there needing to be an ultimate end outside of space and time and uh, our experience of moral conviction. That those three things, right, should, and in most cases do lead to um, a acceptance, a reasonable affirmation that, there, that God exists, right? That there is a God, a Lord over my life, uh, and that I'm accountable to God uh, for my behavior. Yeah, St. Augustine has this great line that he says, you know, what uh, uh, God wrote on the tablets, what man ceased to read in his heart. Uh, uh, you know, right. When we look at sacred scripture, when we look at the Ten Commandments, you know, mm-hmm. we can find uh, um, an exposition of uh, natural moral law. Sure, uh, right. which, which, which I always find is interesting because I've heard that before, but then when you, when, you, when you genuinely think about it and read it over, you know, the first three commandments are about the existence of God. Sure. Right. Yeah, you know, and St. Right. St. Augustine would include that as part of, you know, what God has placed on our hearts. Sure. So that, that, you know, from a natural perspective, we can understand that God exists and that we have to give him his due, you mm-hmm. know, and then there's also, you know, our, our interactions with each other and the moral law that sure. exists between those kinds of relationships. So mm-hmm. even when we look at the 10 commandments and talk about natural moral law, mm-hmm. the beginning is God. And right. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, even if our knowledge of God, you know, is not uh, innate and explicit, um, it's still um, uh, implicit, right? In yeah. in uh, in us and our experience of the world should make it explicit. Uh, and if it weren't for our sinful, you know, hearts and for the darkening of the intellect and original sin, then we would it, it would in fact be the case that we would all say, oh yeah, it's obvious that that, that God exists, right? Um, uh, both again from our moral conviction, from the order of the world, and for our uh, need from a, an ultimate end. Yeah. So, as we draw to a close here, okay. what do you think are some good uh, places to get started uh, okay. learning about Aquinas? You know, yeah. uh, uh, picking them up because, like we said, there has to be an order to it. And sure. Uh, know, uh, well, uh, uh, of course, uh, obviously, I would say CSA is a great place to begin. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of text and books and things of that nature. Uh, I would I would advise you not to follow my example. Uh, so uh, I just dove in uh, as an undergraduate to the volume one of the Summa Contra Gentilis uh, and read it straight through. And um, I don't think that I understood two thirds of what I read, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's that's that, that was my approach at the time. I would recommend uh, the two two in philosophy that I think would be the best um, would be. Um, uh, Joseph Pieper, and then also Ed Fazer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think uh, Pieper's um, has several really nice just introductory books. One of them is called The Silence of St. Thomas. Uh, a complimentary volume is, uh, volume is A Guide to St. Thomas. Um, both of those are excellent texts. They give you a good sense of St. Thomas as a person, St. Thomas's time, his most his basic ideas, um, what's important to pay attention to in, uh, in his work. And then after that, I would say, after those introductory texts, I would say Pieper's uh, book, uh, uh, Leisure, the Basis of Culture, uh, his book on happiness and contemplation, as well as the brief reader on the virtues of the human heart. So those are some texts, uh, and those are on the identified in the resources page on the website uh, if, if people want to look at them. Uh, those are very helpful. Uh, Phaser is a little different. Uh, he's a little more um, argumentative, so Pieper's very much evocative. He's a good literary writer, gives you a sense of context. Uh, Phaser's a good writer, but it's in a very different 
kind of frame of mind. Uh, so phasers laying out arguments and knocking down opponents. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, I think at one point I described him as sort of like brass knuckles uh, Thomism. So he has a very uh, fun polemical book called um, The Last Superstition, uh, in which he uses Thomistic philosophy to confront and I think in many ways refute uh, various arguments of the new atheists. So that's a, a good uh, volume as well. Uh, a more, a less polemical volume he has is just called Aquinas uh, for Beginners. And he does a good job just laying out, it's, it's dense and challenging, but it's, um, there's a good job of laying out the basic kind of metaphysical uh, principles that St. Thomas employs. And I think uh, one other, one other text I want to throw out there is if you want kind of a, a how do, how do, how do we in the modern culture, how do we approach Catholicism from maybe a Thomistic mm. point of view? You know, how do we bring these, these two together? Uh, there's a great book that was recently released um, called Introduction to Catholicism by uh, um, Father Thomas Joseph White, a Dominican. Okay. He teaches at the Dominican House of Studies. And so it's, I mean, it's a thick book. It's, mm -hmm. it, it's fairly dense, but Father, uh, Father White is uh, uh, very clear. Yes. And he's also just uh, uh, um, uh, very understanding throughout the whole book. He doesn't set aside uh, seemingly problems that people continually bring up. He addresses uh, them. Uh, good, so good. It's a great, uh, a great book there. Great. So that does it for us uh, today at Take Every Thought Captive. We hope you enjoy it, and we hope you join us next time. Until then, God bless.